0: When Jessica was in grade 8, life was rough.
1: Dear Diary, I have a huge problem. So I think I have feelings for Michael, and I think he likes me too, but he's two months younger than me, and I don't know how I feel about dating a younger man. (laughs) He's taller than me, but ugh, he's so young.
0: That's Jessica reading from the diary she kept in grade 8. And this... Well, this is Grownups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids is a live open mic where brave adults get up on stage and read diary entries, poetry, creative writing assignments, and all kinds of weird and wonderful things that their young minds came up with. This time, recorded live at the Bytown Tavern in Ottawa, we have unsolicited apology letters, seagull-inspired poetry and some pretty astute political analysis from a nine-year-old. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and some of it might just sound a little bit familiar. So think about the stuff that you wrote when you were a kid. The stuff you might have packed away in a closet somewhere. And stick around. A minute ago, we heard from Jessica. She was the 14-year-old worried about dating someone two months younger than her. Well, shortly after her crush on younger man Michael, Jessica moved on. Now, just as a heads up, this next diary entry does contain a cuss word, and it mentions drugs. Okay, here's Jessica reading from her diary about a new boy.
1: So I have a crush on Sean DeCary now. He is like totally the real deal rock and roll. He's cooler than Eddie Van Halen and Vince Neil fused together. (laughs) I want to smoke drugs with Sean and kiss him. (laughs) But I've been dressing really bad lately. I only have one pair of shrunken pants and I broke my bra so my boobs look like shit. shape to be noticed by Sean right now. I'm going to cut my pants into shorts. Okay, one more. Tessa just called and said she is going to come over. I hope she doesn't brag about her new job too much. She works at Loeb as a cashier and I'm so jealous. She makes $7 an hour and I can only dream of what I could do with money like that.
0: Our next reader, Laura, described herself as a guilty child. So guilty, in fact, that she frequently wrote apology notes to her parents. Now, to be very clear, her parents did not request these apologies. These are unsolicited, totally voluntary apology notes. Now, Laura's parents held on to some of these, and Laura brought a few to our Ottawa show to read on stage.
2: So the first one is after I left some dishes downstairs and then lied about it. (laughs) Dear Dad, I'm sorry for the way I acted yesterday. I'm sorry because it probably made you feel like you can never trust me. I'd like you to know that you're not a bad parent at all. The reason why I lied is because I thought that it would get me out of trouble, but I was wrong because right now I'm in trouble. (laughs) Wrong is always spelt with just (laughs) R-O-N-G. To finish this letter, I'd like to recommend some punishments for myself. (laughs) I've made a list. (laughs) Um, No TV for a week. Grounded for two weeks, but I was in grade three, so I don't know where I was going to (laughs) go. No computer for a week. No more dishes downstairs, which is what I was in trouble for. (laughs) So that was already a thing. (laughs) Washing dishes for a week. (laughs) Setting tables for a week. (laughs) Sorting my brother's socks (laughs) and not having a sleepover with my cousin Ellen. (laughs) After this, I really don't think you can trust me, but I really want you to try. (laughs) I'll really be honest every day. (laughs) So the next one is after I got a bad mark on a science test and rather than telling my parents like a normal child, I wrote them a letter and left it on their pillow. <laughs> so, my mom got included in this one. Dear mom and dad, I feel really bad about my mark. I've definitely learned my lesson. That is, I will never study at the last minute again. It's <laughs> <That's> not true. <laughs> Myself, I thought I would get an amazing mark. The funny thing is, I studied for 70 minutes, and my friend Emily only studied for three, and she got a good mark. (laughs) Yours truly, Laura. P.S. Please punish me. (laughs) Also, forgive me. (laughs) Thank you.
0: I didn't know it at the time, but Laura's parents were sitting there in the audience listening to her. So a few days later, I asked Laura's mom, Susan, to call in with her perspective on Laura's earnest apologies.
3: We would uh, come to bed at night and find these letters on our pillow. And uh, in terms of what it was like to hear Laura read those letters all the years later, it was really delightful because uh, it was an opportunity to... Sort of share some of the delights of little Laura with grown up Laura, and uh, we can share in the laugh together. And why did we hold on to the letters and why were they kept? I think because as parents, you know, as you're going along, every once in a while there's that perfect photograph or there's something that really captures that moment in time with your child, and just the, uh, the joy of, uh, that you take as a parent in, in watching your kids learn to express themselves and and define their own sort of standards and worries and things. So um, we held on to them because they really were mementos of that time and and your kids just grew up so fast and I think we knew at the time they were perfect little mementos of Laura when she was an eight-year-old girl.
0: Okay, quick history lesson. In 1995, the province of Quebec held a referendum. The question? Should Quebec proclaim itself a sovereign nation independent from Canada? The issue of Quebec sovereignty sparked a huge national discussion in the 90s, and a few years after that referendum, our next reader decided it was time to add his voice to the debate. Here's David, reading a letter he wrote in 1998 to the Premier of Quebec, Lucien Bouchard.
4: Dear Premier Lucien Bouchard, my name is David Williams. I am nine years old. I live in Thunder Bay, which I did at the time. Uh, I'm writing to you about the separation issue. I think it's foolish, therefore I disagree. (laughs) I think if you separated, you could be in a civil war. The worst could be World War III. (laughs) If Quebec separated, you could not get the Maritimes to join you. (laughs) If you started a war, perhaps France might join you, and then it would be two countries against one. But I see no reason why Canada can't get the United States to join them. (laughs) Countries could keep joining forces, and it could end up in World War III. Now, why would you want to start a war by separating? If you separated, a war or other reasons could decrease the population. (laughs) Some people may come to Canada or go to other countries, and some would die in the war. (laughs) If Quebec separated, uh, the people of Quebec would have to pay higher taxes. (laughs) If you became a separate country you may not be able to use the Canadian dollar. You'd be on your own, so you'd have to start on your own. And then my grandfather, who was helping me with this, wrote in pencil at the bottom, P.S. I'm in my fifth year studying French. Thank you.
0: Part of why I love this kind of writing is that it offers an immediate connection to history. The things that we wrote as kids can transport us instantly back to another place and another time. But here's the thing. Sometimes the way we portray our lives on paper doesn't exactly match up with the realities of our situation. For example, Take our next reader, Karen. Karen brought along some poetry that she wrote in 1983 when she was in grade 11, and this poetry is all about death and loneliness and angst. But I was a middle class
5: kid in a nice neighborhood, had a great family, they loved me, I had lots of friends. I don't know where this time So here we go. Silence, lone gull, flight of silver ash, soars past the silence beyond pain, sorrow, death. Oh, to be one with that bird and delivered unto FREEDOM, all caps underlined, (laughs) yet we are not so different gull and I, <laughs> whether on wings of a feather or those of the mind, all caps, our souls escape united by the same desire that binds us eternally to earth. <laughs> and that's it.
0: Karen was not the only reader who brought along angsty teenage poetry to our Ottawa show. Our next reader, Carla, described herself as a gothy teenager in the 1990s who loved the movies Interview with a Vampire and Tim Burton's Batman. Here's Carla reading a poem she wrote when she was 15 years old called Dark Angel Eternal.
6: I have a lot of poems that have angel in the title. In the darkness, all alone... Black, so intense, my vision blurs. I see your face and hear your voice. Too close to ignore. Too distant to touch. Too beautiful to hate. Too dark for my desires. An angel. And have you seen a dead bird fly? Have you danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? I really like the Joker. (laughs) Tell me, how does it feel to be loved by death? (laughs) I want to be with you, wherever that may be. But dark secrets never told hold me here, where I am. Fear, loneliness, regret, beauty, fades, passes, leaving me alone again. In this graveyard of broken statues, I can't find your face. (laughs) In every footstep I hear your voice, calling to me, whispering. I turn and fall down, weeping, alone again. In the darkness, a stranger asks, My dark love, how does it feel to be loved by death? (laughs) Blood trickles down, so slow and cold, ice. Peace sets in, finally washing over me forever. The black angel swoops down towards me. A mother cries, a baby wails. (laughs) The world continues to turn. All that is, is just a memory of that which was and soon will be. Now in the darkness all alone, my dark love envelops me. The sun will never rise again, for I know how it feels to be loved by death. (laughs) Yep. Teenage poetry at its best.
0: (laughs) Now, not all of Carla's teenage poetry was so dark. She also brought along another, less gothy poem. This one is called Sex and the Baked Potato." Yes, that's right. Sex and the baked potato.
6: Tanned a golden brown. Hot, burning, searing, <laughs> tempting black eyes, desire, hunger grows. <laughs> Torn apart in a mad frenzy. Insatiable, filling, delicious. <laughs> the taste lingers for a moment. And now eat your Brussels sprouts. <laughs>
0: This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. A lot of what we hear at our shows falls into a category I like to call kids are weird because kids are weird. And often it's an unintentional kind of weirdness. But sometimes kids are weird on purpose. I know I was one of those kids. And so was our next reader, Sean, who brought along some absurdist fiction that he wrote in grade 12. This is a short story all about training oxen for the modern workforce. Here's Sean.
7: The Ox. Workhorse of the ages. Proud beast of burden. Builder of great Solomon's temple. Strong, shouldered and persevering. Consistent as the seasons. The great ox has stood by the side of man whenever called upon whether to plow the meager field of the lowliest peasant or to assist in the construction of the Tower of Babel. But where is the once great ox now? How can this noble beast satisfy its burning desire to help the human race achieve ever-increasing glories in this high-tech age of automobiles and electric can openers? The terrifying truth is becoming more and more obvious. As the once thunderous herds dwindle, the few remaining survivors are emaciated and reduced to pulling hayrides and other indignities. (laughs) And these are the lucky ones, for thousands of other oxen languish in poverty and unemployment. (laughs) A forgotten animal resigned to extinction. But something can be done. It's not too late. Oxen can be trained for the modern workforce. For example, air traffic controlling is about as tedious and stressful a job imaginable for human beings. So why not ask an ox to take over? They love it. For every successfully landed airplane, mix them up a special treat of molasses, raw eggs, cheese curd, and chili peppers. But whenever a plane misses the runway, collides with another plane mid-air or just runs out of fuel. Be sure to punish them by not adding chili peppers to the above mixture. Don't be discouraged if early losses of human life reach the thousands. With enough support, any ox can become a competent and happy air traffic controller. Making watches eight hours a day does not sound very appealing to humans, but oxen can't get enough of it. Once trained in some simple hoof-eye coordination, they will be churning out precision masterpieces of Swiss timekeeping faster than we can break them. How about a librarian? Just give them a quick course in the Dewey Decimal System and they're off. They will inventorize the catalogs faster than you can clean up after them. As well, oxen oxen can be a good deal more intimidating than your average librarian. Noisy libraries and late books will be a thing of the past. Disappointed with your local parish priest? <laughs> Simply let an ox digest the Bible, and they'll be spreading the word of God like cheese whips. No more boring Sunday sermons. An ox knows how to drive to the point and really instill the fear of God into you astronomer, army officer, politician, astronaut, oil tanker captain. The list is endless. Long live the mighty ox.
0: Kids are perceptive. They notice and note down... The tiniest little details. And that's one of my favorite things about Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. The detail that gives you a little peek inside what it was like to grow up at a particular time, or in a particular place, or in a particular family. For instance, at our Ottawa show, Shelley Ann got up on stage and read about going to a family function, a christening,
8: When we got there, the small house was filled with ham and pickle activities. Now, I should explain ham and pickle. (laughs) (laughs) A ham and pickle is a little saying that our family has anytime you have a party when there's uh, like a christening or a funeral.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm totally stealing that. I love ham and pickle activities. When Paulina was 14, she dealt with a lot of change. She had just finished middle school, but most of her friends ended up going to a different high school than her. She felt lonely, she wanted to fit in, and on top of that, she was, in her own words, at the peak of puberty. Now, a quick heads up about the diary entries you're about to hear. They do acknowledge the existence of sex, and they mention first, second, and third bases. But Paulina started by pondering some of life's big questions.
8: Do my friends really care about me? When am I going to have my first kiss? Am I depressed? When will my face stop turning so red when I get embarrassed? Why did middle school have to end so quickly? Why did I take everything for granted? What group do I fit in at school now? What do others really think of me? Am I going to meet Paul Abdul? <laughs> What would it be like if she was my mom? (laughs) January 27th. Wow, who would have thought buying a new bra would be such a confidence booster? Yes, I guess you could say that today was a really perky day. March 6th. So my friend Dom invites me over to her house, saying that my two other best friends were going to be there as well as her boyfriend. I thought, fine, whatever. It's not like I have anything better to do. I was secretly hoping that at least one of the guys was a hottie. We got back to Dom's and decided to watch a movie. She told me that one of the guys thought I was cute. I went to get a drink of water, and when I came back, the only spot left on the couch was beside Nick. I had no choice, really, and I didn't want it to look like I was afraid. I'd never done this before, but this is what I've been dreaming about, right? Before I knew it, he pounced on me like a snake on a defenseless mouse, and we started to make out for, like, ten minutes at a time, take 30-second breaks, and get right back at it. Yeah. I think I kind of enjoyed it. He was eating my entire mouth, and I just went with it. I think everybody was watching us. He started to feel me up, and before I knew it, he was trying to take off my bra. Yes, you might be thinking, oh my, Paulina, you don't even know this kid. And yes, you're right. But I mean, it was in the moment, we were both into it, and I didn't want him to stop. Then I felt better thinking maybe he hadn't done this before either because my bra got stuck at the side of my shirt and he couldn't take it off. <laughs> so yes, we were making out again and he was feeling me up and then I felt his hand trying to get down my pants. Of course I stopped him. I don't even know this kid. <laughs> I ended up giving him a hand job. <laughs> you might think that that's disgusting, but I'm telling you, it's not. It's so overrated. It's not even close to as bad as everyone says it is. I will probably never see this guy again, but honestly, it doesn't even bother me. I guess you could say it was my first one-night stand. (laughs) Thanks, everybody.
0: The sociologist Fred Davis describes nostalgia as a way of working through our present day fears and anxieties by looking to the past. When we're faced with change, transition, and uncertainty today, it can help to remember all the change, transition, and uncertainty we've already made it through. When Paul was nine years old, his family made a big change. They moved from the Netherlands to Canada, and Paul wrote about this in his journal. Here he is, on stage in Ottawa, sharing what it was like to be nine years old, new to Canada, and getting accustomed to a brand new culture and new language.
9: When we moved to Canada, I knew three English words, yes, no, and peanut butter. (laughs) September 19th, 1989. My name is Paul. I live two miles to the west, one kilometer north, and then a driveway to the west, and there I live. September 20th. My mom is 32, and her name is Marianne. My dad is 35, and his name is Jan. My brother is 8, and his name is George. My sister is 6, and her name is Hannah. I am 9, and my name is Paul. September 27th. This morning, when I was in my bed... I want to go to Holland again because I miss my friends. I want to play with them again. September 29th. My best friend, he is nine. His name is Erik. And then Jan Willem, he is nine too. And then Julian, and he is nine too. I write to them every month a big letter with two sides full. But now I don't got time to write a letter this month, so that will come. October 19th. When we were on camp, I thought the children from Rimby, that they were Dutch. And when I wanted to speak to them, I started in Dutch. October 31st. (laughs) Today is Halloween, but I can't go trick-or-treat because my mom don't like that children go ask for candies. (laughs) November 2nd. Yesterday, when I came home, we got a bag full, of, full with candies from Angela, our neighbor. November 10th. This morning, when I woke up, there was snow outside. When I was finished, I went outside and I made two big snowballs. November 14th. Yesterday, we had a little holiday because it was Remembrance Day. November 20th. <laughs> Friday night, we went skating on the creek. There was ice on it already. There is a creek on our farm, and on that creek, we went skating. <laughs> November 27th. I learned this weekend to hockey skate. My mother teach me how to do it. My brother fell. On the minute. <laughs> December 5th. Saturday, we skated a lot with my dad and my brother. I learned a bit more speed skating from my dad. I learned to go around the corners. (laughs) December 15th. In Holland, I never won a prize with skating because if I go fast, I go fast. But when I start, I go slow because the race is always short. (laughs) February 12th. Yesterday, I beat my dad in chess, but I think that I can't beat my grandpa. He is the best. Well, I'm going to try it and hope I win then. That is my biggest wish. (laughs) March 27th. Yesterday I made a goalie stick, and tomorrow my mom is going to Holland. (laughs) April 2nd. Yesterday night I cried because I miss my mom. April 9th. (laughs) Yesterday we wrote a letter to Grandma. Tomorrow, my mom... May 8th. This morning it was easier to get the cows in. May 9th. Last night it was hard to get the cows in the barn. May 10th. We won 21 to 10. May 14th. With floor hockey, we won three times and lost two times. In Holland, with soccer, we were twice champions. May 15th. On the 18th is my mom and dad anniversary, and we might go to a restaurant. May 27th. The Environment by Paul Slump. Do we want everything to die? Trees sick and animals shy? We don't care a lot. That's why animals get shot. The world is going by so quick. Smoke is making everything so sick. Almost all the people don't care. With pollution in our air. I know a guy. He was so shy. With pollution in our air. And all the factories smoking there.
0: If you could go back in time and talk to nine-year-old you, what would you tell him?
9: I'd tell him to lighten up a little bit. (laughs) I was a serious kid, and I should have played more.
0: (laughs) That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Bytown Tavern in Ottawa, Ontario. Our music is by Poddington Bear. If you want to find out when we are coming to your town for a live show or sign up for our email newsletter or listen to past episodes, you can do all of that at our website, grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. Or even easier, just look at your device right now. We put links to all of this stuff right in the show notes to this episode, so you should be able to see them in whatever podcast app you are using. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.